0: Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club, you're listening
1: to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Roy Sloane here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. <laughs> It's not the 50 most relevant, no, that's still going. It's our first strategy episode of the preseason. Joining me on this episode to help unpack a bunch of different narratives and nuances as we look specifically at the format of AFL fantasy. There's some great wisdom that both our guests today want to share with you. But don't panic. If you're a dream teamer or a super coach and you're like, ah, I'll just log out of this episode, I'm done. Don't do that. I'll tell you why. One, there are some parallels across the way you play the game that is gonna come through. So that while this is curated for AFL fantasy, with the 40 trades that you've now got, there might be some learnings that you can take. And sometimes it's just a little idea that can spark another idea and help you along the way. Joining me on this episode as he has ever since the inception of the coaches panel, it's fellow co-founder Rids Mate. It's nice to see you. We've been planning and talking about this episode for a couple of weeks. It's exciting to finally get it out there into the fantasy footy community.
2: Was that tongue-in-cheek, MJ? Nice to see me when I'm AI RIDs on the screen right now? Well, you know, it's it's a nice statement. You know, to be fair, the
1: AI RIDs is a better-looking version of
2: RIDs. Yeah, plus I can hide when I'm doing the finger at the camera at you and everything else, like I can hide behind AI RIDs.
1: I think that's fair enough, too. Uh, also on this episode, you've heard him on a number of episodes of the 50 most relevant, and he's jumping in for this strategy conversation. Vams, nice to see you again, mate. And again, can't see you. It's an AI version of you, too.
0: Good to be here, gents. Can't wait to get uh, get stuck into it.
1: So let me set the groundwork for what this episode is all about. Um, both Vams, Rids, I suppose you could throw me in the mix of that, too, Um, We've played the game of AFL Fantasy for a really long time. And in 2023, both VAMS and RIDs set out to play AFL Fantasy with one objective in mind. Draw as many lessons as you can, make as many mistakes as possible, glean as much as you can from what the community does do and how the unique nuances of the game function with the strict intent been able to share them with you on this episode and then for them to apply them heading into the 2024 season. And so what I've asked both these guys to do is to give me three big key takeaway and learnings to share that with us, and we'll unpack that as a trio as we work through this episode. So maybe, maybe Vams will start with you. Uh give us your first big takeaway and lesson, and we'll have an opportunity to chat about it off the back.
0: Yeah, good on you, mate. Look um Rids and I, it's interesting. Like like you said, Rids and I uh, have a lot of parallels in terms of our, let's just say, our fantasy uh, careers. and and last year, just coincidentally, we found ourselves in the same uh, keeper league a, a year or two ago, and we actually got chatting um sort of outside the outside the league, uh, <coughs> excuse me, outside the league. Um, and, and started talking about sort of AF in a little bit more detail in terms of like how to actually play the game. Because, again, not speaking on his behalf, but um, I probably didn't appreciate some of the nuances in terms of how to put a team together, how to sort of build through the season such that you're going to be in the best position to win a hat. And, look, you're probably uh, you're doing me a bit of a service there in terms of saying that I set out uh, with one goal in mind, and that was to to learn. that. That's not quite true. I, make no mistake, I set out to win a hat. Um, but unfortunately, didn't get there. But the the side effect of of really taking it seriously last year was that I was able to come away with with, with some learnings, which I'm hopeful able to 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 go into this year with. And so, I guess the first thing I want to uh, sort of uh, talk about as my 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 first learning from last year was just this idea of don't assume that last year is going to repeat into this year. I talked about this in a lot of well, a little bit of detail on our fifty most relevant with LDU, and in particular, wanted to focus on the midfield. And I see a lot of people um, really strive towards um, wanting to put not necessarily a lot of these, uh, you know, uber premium midfielders into their into their starting team, but certainly wanting to try and put at least one and perhaps even two of these midfielders that are around that one ten average mark into their into their midfield with the sort of under the premise of, look, I want a bit of safety or I want a like a good captain option and this sort of thing. And when you look back at it, it's actually, the idea of doing that is actually built on a relatively false premise. Again, mm-hmm. the premise being that you think it's safe and that, um, you know, I'm going to put a, um, you know, a, a Bontempelli in my team. Yes, he's expensive, but at least I know I'm going to get. And again, history shows that that's actually not necessarily the case. And and in fact, I'd go one further and say it's actually quite rarely the case. Just some data here, and uh, we've we've um, let's just say uh, abused Jaden's generosity with his time a fair bit already this uh, this preseason. But once again, at very short notice, he came back to me when I put a question to him with regards to how many. The question I put to him was how many midfielders, fantasy midfielders, who averaged one ten or more, one ten or more. In season one, let's call it, or last Mm -hmm. season, how many of them went on to average at least one hundred eight plus? Or what? Let me rephrase: How many of those? How many midfielders that averaged at least one hundred ten plus averaged within two points per game to the downside of of their prior average? I.e., if someone averaged one hundred and ten last year, how many of them did they? Or uh, let me rephrase again: If someone averaged one hundred and ten last year. How many went on to average at least 108 the following year? Or if someone averaged 114 last year, how many then averaged 112 or more the following year? I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely it does.
0: <clears throat> so here's what he said. So from 2012 onwards, there were 80 non non-Rucks that averaged at at least 110. And only 11 out of those 80 didn't regress with at least that two-point per game buffer, yeah? And so, again, so what that says, roughly speaking, only about one in eight mids, that average 110, will go on to do roughly at least what they did the previous season. So, again, coming back to that point of... I want to go and pay for 110 point per game mid because I you know I I know what I'm getting and I've got a safe captain option and it's worth spending up to have that safety again roughly one in eight mids priced around that mark is going to do roughly what they did last year at the very least let's just say and so not are you not only are you not potentially you know getting what you pay for you're going to be losing, like these guys tend to lose a lot of cash potentially. Like The the alarming thing when you look at the, the list of these guys is that, yes, you do have some that roughly stay around about what they did the previous year. And yes, you do have the very occasional, this very small handful, perhaps only three or four players that really made a big bump. Um, Rory Laird from 2021 to 2022 being the most, probably the most recent example, hmm. but the vast majority of them drop a lot. And so I, I guess what I would say as my first learning is be very, very, very careful about selecting these roughly 110 point per game price midfielders. Because again, not many of them will repeat last year's performance the following year. And again, the key is also in those first, let's call it first five to 10 rounds. So many of these midfielders that build these very, very large averages, let's call it 110 plus, they often do that on the back of very, very high tackle numbers. And whilst I've yet to be able to sort of confirm this with, with statistics, when you eyeball it and go back and manually look at some of these midfielders, again, the their tackle numbers in, let's call it, the first half of the season to the second half of the season, they're drastically different. So there is some potential reason as to why you do get that sort of early drop-off. But it's not always the case. You can pick examples of players that, um, you know, that, that do start off on fire. Clary Oliver last year being a, you know, a very, very good example there. And so, look, I think as me and Ritz both go through our, our learnings, just keep in mind, these are, first of all, these are our sort of guidelines, just call them, but they are guidelines. They're not formal rules. If you find someone that's, you know, averaged 108, 109 last year and you reckon and you've got some logic as to why you think they can go to another level for whatever reason, Go for it. So, again, these are guidelines. So that would be my first uh, my first point that I'd probably want to put out there.
1: Some really nice stuff to pick up. Riz, before I get yours, anything you want to extract further from that or or unpack in a different area that bands has shared with us just then?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that I really want to point out here, it's very easy for the young fellas, the new age coach, to not have that learnings from a few years ago it's hard for us, yeah? We were brought up with the ablets, the Swans, the rockleaves who not only went 110 back to back to back, they went 120, 130 back to back. So that's where that thought process comes. It's like, hey, we got a, a captain option that we can actually rely on and we can bank on and often what it means is if you've got the captain pumping out those massive scores early on, you're actually really doing damage on people who don't have those captains, okay, at that point. So I just wanted to cr- just mention that point because now we're talking about a much lower, it's like 110 price tag at the moment for those midfielders. So the reality of the situation is we just don't, have a Swan or an Ablett or a Rockcliffe, maybe a Tom Mitchell a couple of years ago when he went 120, 120. But guess what? If you don't start with those guys, it's not going to take your season away, as Selby proved a few years ago when he didn't start with Tom Mitchell. So it's still not going to be the be-all and end-all, but it makes it a lot difficult if you get off to that flying start. That's all. Yeah. I'm curious,
1: fans, we'll we'll get Ridd's first one in a second. How much do you think the evolution of the rolling lockout and the ability to vice-captain and captain different players every single week, has that also become a unique factor in this component or thought process for you as well? Because, again, Rids highlights a a generation that grew up playing AFL Fantasy any further back than 2020 – rolling lockouts weren't really a thing in, in AF. So is this also another nuance that helps further build this narrative of no, you don't have to bank in this 110 guy?
0: Yeah, I think certainly that plays a part. I, I think the I think the main thing though is just the limited trades. I mean this concept of of picking an eighty-five point per game guy with the hope that he might go on to average a hundred, and then at his buy you'd use a trade to then you know flip him to the one hundred and ten guy. That like that really wasn't much of a thing. Like you had, you know, you had twenty trades. You might want to keep three, four, five trades for the you know for those inevitable last three, four rounds when you had restings and. Um, and don't forget the reason why the AFL brought that extra uh, that week between the last round and the finals was because they they did that because so many teams were resting players in that last round, and mm-hmm. they wanted to stop people from doing that. So we would often you know leave a few of those trades for those last few rounds where um, you might cop some you know bullets from either injuries late where you know your bench might be very thin. Um, obviously those restings in the in the last round as well, and so you, you would really only perhaps have you know, maybe 15 trades to upgrade your entire side from from the start of, you know, from, from from round one. And, you know, add in some, you know, again, inevitable injuries or maybe some longer suspensions that you might cop along the way. You might really only have you know, perhaps even 10, 12 trades maybe to upgrade your entire side. Um So, that's, you know, a, perhaps like a quarter of what we've got now, perhaps not quite, but it's far less. So, again you can now the i mean again back then the approach was start with as many end keepers as you possibly can because you're not going to have as many trades as as you might want to 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 do sideways trading let's call it um so you've got to start with as many keepers as you can and fill out the rest of your side with, with cheap guys now it's like quite the opposite now it's build up it and you know we'll get into this but it's more about look build up your team value as much as you can because hey you've got enough trades to to um to bring in whoever you want so make sure you've got enough cash to make those trades happen so it's a little bit different
1: yeah it's really really good Rids what's uh, the first takeaway lesson you want to share from 2023 that's going to help coaches as they head into 2024
2: Yeah, so one of the key ones for me, and I know um, there's many ways to do this, okay, but one of the key ones for me was dead rookies in the first five rounds. They need to be addressed. Now, my my definition of dead rookie is those rookies, yeah, they might be playing, but they're not going to generate enough cash to really build that base for your team. Like Vam's just said a second ago, yeah? It's really important early days to build that team base because you want to really capitalise when you get into that second and third scores of the five price like rolling average that it's heavily weighted and you're actually making good money for as many of your squad as you can. Because you really do need to build that base. If you don't do that, it really becomes very difficult, especially later in the season, to try like to chase down teams that have got a points advantage because they're able to build up and then to grab the best of the best off any line. So that's going to start at the rookies and work their way up. And Bam said it a minute ago, yeah. It also works from premiums and coming down as well. Because if you're losing it from the top end, and you're making it well from the bottom end, you've got to have that balance. Because it's still going to be that base that you're building across the board.
1: Yeah, it's really good. Vams, any reflections off the back of that learning?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, it it just. uh, I think certainly in the last couple of years, again, I've noticed is. It pays to spend up for the for the rooks that you have more confidence that they're going to play. Their scoring potential is going to be better. It's so tempting, man. Like we're all putting our starting teams together now, and it's so tempting. It's like, oh, I want to move this M four. Just I want to upgrade them a little bit. You know what? I'm gonna instead of putting that two fifty k rookie on my bench, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna find someone that's two hundred k, and I can make my starting team you know just that little bit better. And you know, it's very. Easy to fall into that trap of optimizing for your starting team, but boy, if you you know you pick that 200k rookie because it allows you to improve your starting team just that little bit, but come round two if they're dropped or they spit out a you know a score of 12 or some garbage like that, you will be you will be regretting that decision. And so again, just focusing, just like Ridd said, focusing on doing everything you can to to make sure that you, you've got that that bench cash gen going um you know a, a term that i think rid's uh coined last year bench hygiene yeah. um you know i think it's a really important because those dead rooks you know it, it's it, it if, if you think about your your cash or your team is almost like this you know a, a, you know blood vessels blood flowing through you know your team generating cash a dead rook is like a blood clot you know what i mean and it just blocks everything up and it, it it's really important that's addressed like rid said
1: that's really good. Rids. I'm curious, this might steal one of your other boys' thoughts as we head through this episode, but it feels like it's a nice point to ask. So Rids, when you're in those early rounds of end of round one, two, three, wherever it is, and you have this quote unquote dead rook, but you also have, let's use the term maybe loosely, a premium or a mid-price guy, and you're not happy with what both are giving you, what should be the priority at that point in time? Is it Address the dead cow and deal with that other challenging moment? Or is there an ever an element where the mid-pricer or the premium not working out for you is more
2: of the priority? So what happens here, okay, is it relates to what VAM said a minute ago. You don't go out and you pay top dollar for a premium, okay, because there's chances he's going to regress, which means he's going to leak cash at a much, much better, bigger rate Faster rate than what would be the case if you went in and spent 15, 20,000 left at the price point. Because there's a little bit less risk in that. It's actually risky to go out and people are going to like headbutt the wall and everything else. But listen to me, okay? It's actually riskier to go and pay hundred and ten price tag for a guy who averaged 110 last year because one bad score or anything else means you're going to have to move off that to salvage that, port, like those dollars, okay? So that's why I, I think at the end of the day, last year Vams and I were in this gr- keeper league. We were just chatting. You know, people were interested in doing some salary cap for the year. People sort of knew who I was, um, there was a bit of a discussion and we started just talking, okay? And one of the things that we noticed last year in the preseason was the term value. Mm. Now, I never could get my head around what does the term value mean? Why are people so focused on the term value? And I think a lot of people were using it wrongly in the way that they were applying the thought process and they didn't actually quite understand what it meant. So this is what they are regarding the cave. Like you look for a player with value so that way you're mitigating your risk involved in making that spend because otherwise if they go out and get points scored, doesn't match that points you're spending it's really dead money that's been spent at the most crucial time of the year. Mm. So that's why if you have a dead rook and you have someone at 110 that you've paid for, that's averaging 60 last year after round one. And I'm thinking of Rory Laird. Okay. Sure. Um, you, They're both as high priority as each other. You need to, but it's the cash that you're losing that's the highest priority. So you've got to trade out of a lead at the highest point. And we have, we grew up, yeah? You've got to back your rookies. You've got to back your rookies. Be safe. Be hard. I've said it many times. You back mm. him in, you know? Because that's the old school mentality. And you often we hear Selby saying it, you know, old school mentality, new school mentality. That's what it means. It's because... We're so used in trying to conserve trades and trying to have that keeper mentality from round one. We want to have 12, 13, 14, maybe even 15 keepers from round mm. one, which means we're going to conserve trades to get to a 22-keeper team, complete a team. That's the mentality that needs to change because we got trades every week now. We can actually... Yeah. From day one, from round one to round 22, you can have a totally different team, okay? So you just got to change that thought process. There's a few things we say at the wrong points in times. And sure. this is the nuance that I think Vams and I picked up very quickly. And that's true bad. Like, I mean, last year I started Rory Lynn and I was like, oh, okay, let's have a look at this. And I had many opportunities trade out of Rory Laird. I think mm. I even said in pods, no, I'm not going to trade out. I mean, why am I trading out? People were messaging us. And we remember MJ last preseason. What am I going to do with lead? What am I going to do with lead? Well, my advice last year would have been, oh, you probably hold on to him and you stick fat. Guess what my advice is this year? Get off him. Go. Run. Find someone else, you know.
0: Go to your set of fields. Mm. Yeah, because that's what you really. Let me, want let me just ask you a question. I just want to ask you a question on that one, Rids, because I think um, certainly with let's call it um, you know dead rooks or misfiring mid prices, I think mm. everyone would agree with that. So uh, just to sort of push back on that point, let's just say you pick an Uber premium. So let's just say this year, let us call him Andy Brayshaw. Perhaps sure. you know he seems to be a, a relatively popular guy priced at about one hundred and ten. If he comes out in round one and gives a let's call a fifty is probably an extreme example, and but you might say, look, it's only let's go relevant. 75. In that example. Let's pick okay. a nice if he comes out round a 75 round Um, if you are uh, of the view that look, that was just uh, you know, no change in his role, um, I don't see anything in that game that makes me think that he can't potentially continue to average 110 from here. Yes. Do you still think that he should be traded out purely to you know to stop that bleeding cash, at least in the short term? Or would you say, look, I still think he's going to average 110 from here. Yes, he's going to come down in price now. And yes, there are a few people that are going to pick him up 50, 60, 70k cheaper in a few rounds time. Um, or again, or do you say, look, OK, I, I've, I've lost that cash already, essentially, but I still think he's going to be a, a good scorer from here.
2: What, what do you think about that? Yes, yeah, so... To answer that, I'm going to be really weird, okay? Um, For a start, I won't be starting an Andy Brayshaw this year, so I won't have that scenario because it's an awkward, awkward scenario to face because no matter what you decide, it could go either way. It's really one of those toss the coin out. So I'm just not going to put myself in that situation by not even starting a 110 guy this year in the midfield. So that's the first part, okay? The second part is no matter what you do, you've got to back your eye, but what else do you have in your team? What other bullets do you have along the journey? We saw last year, okay? And I'm going to use Matty Mottram, okay, as an example last year. Everyone yep. whinges and complains about bullets along the way. Matty Mottram started last year with, um, what's his face, Cherry? And then he also started with Josh Kelly, who went and got concussed and missed the the round two pretty much.
1: So, two forced trades
2: after the first two forced trades after round one. He turned that into Sederfield and then he turned Cherry into English. Yeah. Okay. So, sometimes the worst luck could present the best opportunity for you to then. But again, he saw something in English that went, you know what? English right now is value at this point in time. There's some value add there. Yes, he was priced at 110. But if you think English and you've seen something with English that you think he's going at 120, that's when you jump on. Yeah. 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 So that's the delicate balance. So, but I'm just trying to highlight here, don't put yourself in that nasty. 50-50 call, because then you're relying on luck to sway either way.
1: I think the other element that, you know, don't want to glaze over what Rids just said 5-10 minutes earlier about what's the the priority for you in those moments? Addressing the dead cows. And so sometimes you might get backed into the position where using that 75 of an Andy Brayshaw, it's like, okay, he goes 75, but you miss the equivalent of a Cade Chandler, and you're you're stuck with a, a a teammate where you pick the other guy that gets 40, it's like, nah, I've I've got to get that and I need to. That's where the beautiful nuance of AFL fantasy and fantasy footy in general is it's really hard to give hard and fast always across the board advice because every team, while there are a lot of similarities, and I want to unpack that with you boys throughout this episode too, is there are nuances uh, that come across the game as well. Vams, what's lesson number two yep. that you took away from 2023 playing AFL Fantasy that's going to help coaches playing it in 2024?
0: Well, funnily enough, my, my, my second one is actually very similar to Ritz's first one, which is no uh, which is no coincidence, which, uh, you know, again, given that we, we talked a lot about this last year uh, privately. But, again, just to sort of, you know, extend on, on Ritz's point, my, my second one is more about, again, those early trades and really – it's going to seem obvious in terms of saying use those to fix up your starting team but i'll go sort of one step further and say the key thing with those trades is obviously everyone's going to have bullets that they're going to have to deal with etc but you really have to focus on picking up those obvious value guys that you've missed last year early at least after round one it was set afield right and perhaps even after if not round one you know, certainly round two or three, it was probably Zebul, right? Hmm. The, the The key thing there is that when you do have some, you know, bullets that you have to that you have to deal with. Um, you know, Rids just met, mentioned uh, Maddie Mottram with 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 Cherry and and Kelly, so, and and this is perhaps the difference. Whereas I had those same bullets as well, but I got caught in the trap of trying to bring in a keeper using those those two trades. So. I traded out uh, Cherry and um, and and Josh Kelly, and I brought in Andy Brayshaw and and Finn Callahan, who I thought at the time was value and and you know probably wasn't as much as I had hoped anyway. And so often when you're forced with trades like that, it's very easy. Again, you've got a shiny, uber premium mid sitting there. You can afford them. You know, again, my midfield is going to look great. And, and forcing yourself just to like again just to, just to hold the reins a little bit and instead go and find the guy that look to put it plainly has the lowest break even that it, it doesn't get much more complicated than that right It's just um, you know we've got this beautiful metric that that tells us what you know how much value someone is at the moment and it's based on their their, their break even now that's obviously based on what they've already scored and their current price and um, you know the value is probably more about what you think they're going to do. But the good thing after round one is like, you know, they've still got price rises still to come. So yes, you've missed that score, but don't worry about the score. And again, just to, to, to highlight Rids' point earlier, in those first, you know, two, three rounds, you've almost got to ignore your ranking and ignore the scores you're putting up. And your sole KPI should be about making as much cash as you possibly can. And by extension, the scores will come. Don't worry about that. But if you switch your mindset from, I need to try and maximize points, which often then leads you to try and bring in the Uber premiums um, perhaps prematurely. If you switch your mindset from that to, I need to make as much cash as I can in these first five, six, seven rounds before you know so-called upgrade season, then perhaps you're more likely to, 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 to make those, those right trades. Now, it doesn't mean you can't bring a premium in by the way, you know, Ridge just mentioned, again, Mottram last year, he brought in Tim English. Someone priced at 100 or priced at 105, you know, it can still be value, but they've just obviously got a score higher than what they're priced at. So if you if you think, you know, after seeing Clary Oliver for the first two rounds last year, this guy looks a different play, player. He's spreading. He's getting a little bit more outside ball than he was before. He's still only priced at, you know, 108, 109, because again, don't forget in those early rounds, you got that that magic number working against a player's average, so to speak. So if you think, look, this guy's you know potentially going to go 115 this year, go for it. So again, mm-hmm. this is not about saying don't bring in a premium. It's saying which guy can I bring in that's either, again, going to give me the, the most cash, or if you do want to bring in a premium, again, rather than going to someone who's priced at 110, um, he just scored 108 on the weekend, even if he keeps going 110, they're still going to drop cash, I think you're better off going and finding value. So that would be my my second point. Again, just those first few rounds, change your KPI from maximizing scores to maximizing cash gen. And I think if you do that, it will reap benefits in again round six, seven, eight. When you start making those upgrades, you'll be able to you'll be in a in a far more powerful position to to move your team forward.
1: It's really good, Riz. You want to get in on the end of that before you share your second lesson from 2023.
2: No, I think VAMS has explained that absolutely perfect. There's no oh, me, me adding anything to that. It would be like... going around the mountain. Everything. Well, we'll yeah. give us your
1: second lesson from 2023 that coaches can apply to 2024.
2: Okay, I'm going to take a little bit of focus off the dollars and I'm going to go to ownership focus radio. And this was really hard because like, there's a specific saying that I, like, I don't know, I think VAMS and I might've ended up Jointly forming this, pretty much. There's a difference between DT and AF. Okay, I've had yeah, a little of bit of luck with DT across the years. Um, I've won a form and that I'll, there. sure. Yeah, but with DT, it really rewards about having been unique and to have patience. Mm. AF actually is the absolute. It punishes at you. Like if you're unique and you get it wrong. At the start. Or if you show patience, and yeah. if you don't, when you shouldn't show patience, AF absolutely smacks you across the face, Rodio, because you've done so. So really, it's more preferable to fail together than to be right alone when it comes to AF. Okay, yeah. because. So we all look. We all want to be the one, don't we? We all want to ha- own the guy that breaks out. We all want to have that, that unique ownership. We all want to own that guy that sub five percent ownership. Guess what, though? That's not going to win you a car at the end of the day. That's not going to win you a hat at the end of the day. All it means is that everyone else is jumping on a week or two later, and that unique ownership disappears it just evaporates like and group think is real I know that people think that I'm just bang on about it but it is real because I'm not if I've noticed this trend of this guy doing really really well hey the way the world works right now we've social media with groups with chats with everything else if i've noticed i guarantee you 150 other people and 100 of them are create like what are they called content creators right now yeah i guarantee you it's getting yelled at in pods do this do that we've got ai repeating someone yelling to do this and do that this person that person it actually is real mj Mm. It's very real, and suddenly what happens is all this hype gets built up on that name. Everyone trades into them. There goes your uniqueness, Rodeo.
1: Yeah. So, Vams, let's bring this into 2024. I want to get your thoughts backing off the back of that because I think people can hear mm. what you've both shared on a couple of things and then feel an unintended collision of ideas where one is about, not starting these guys at the top end, that you don't feel there's a, a narrative of upside in scoring. Uh, and then Rids is talking about don't get stuck in the unique world on on the 2 or 3% that it pops for you and the large variable of it either not going for you or everybody being there within a fortnight. What does that mean entering into 2024 for a player like a Nick Dacos, who from an ownership perspective in AFL fantasy right now is still amongst one of the most owned defenders and might not have as much quote unquote value uh, as people might be thinking. So when these two worlds collide of, I don't know if there's value, but the ownership is her high. Can you help us reconcile those two together to help us navigate that? For, and Dacos might not be the guy, but using him as an illustration, how do we reconcile these two things when it feels like they collide?
0: Yeah, I think we, well, I mean, we can try using Nick Dacos as an example. And I, sure. You're right. He's got, uh, I think I looked at it today, it was about 50% ownership. And mm-hmm. and this is a guy who, who has a relatively early buy. He's got one of the early buys. He also runs into, I think it's Finn, if, if uh, you know, in the Finn tag just, just before it. Yeah, just before the buy. And then, you know, potentially has a Will Drew tag yeah. uh, waiting for him just as he comes out the buy. And again, he's priced at 110. Now, it's hard because again, it, he's the sort of guy as well. We saw it last year. You know, I think he averaged one hundred and twenty-two from his first six or something like that. So we know he can go at an absurd, absurdly high average over a over a fair chunk. So he's a hard one to fade. But what I would say it was different last year. I feel like first of all, there's a couple of things with his ownership. First of all, I, I would question, to put it plainly. What is the type of coach that's probably starting with him? And from what I've seen on Twitter and on podcasts, etc., a lot of the sharper fantasy coaches, uh, uh, none of them are, uh, from what I can tell, not many of them are starting him. Now, does that mean they're right? Not necessarily. Sure. But I, I think Nick Dacos is, he, you know, he seems to be like, he's like the golden boy of the AFL right now at the moment, right? So he's like, you know, he, he uh, I, I question the 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 rationale for why 50% of the comp is is, is starting with him, is, is, I guess is my point. And so I would be happy to fade if I think, um you know, that they're plainly wrong, you know what I mean, um in terms of at least the logic. Again, I'm not saying he can't go at much higher than what he's currently priced at over, you know, four or five weeks. Hmm. But when you add that extra buy into the round, I, I I struggle to see a scenario where he justifies an early selection. When you t- again, when you take into account that early buy, without the early buy, I think it would be a very different discussion. And mm-hmm. so, I'm just not sure that people are, are factoring that in just yet. Not to mention some of those matchups as well. And so, I'm, I'm happy fading that. But you know, Rids is right. Like we do have to at least take into account some of the, you know, some of these ownership percentages and the difference with Dacos last year was one, he was priced, you know, obviously much lower than what he is now. And two, you know, there was a very, very good narrative as to why he could potentially completely hop as he did. The reason why many people didn't start that was because we were worried about all sorts of tags. Coincidentally, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm now saying the same thing, aren't I? So clearly I haven't learned many lessons from 2023 after all, but there you go. So again, I think, you know, Rids said. I think I think he said something last year. and Maybe I'll ask him to repeat it. He'll probably explain it better to, uh, than I can. But I remember him saying something about, "Look, if there's high ownership, but also the upside was there, it was something to do with that. Where he had this almost like this heuristic at what point he would really take up uh, ownership into account, and when he's not so happy to to take ownership into account. So uh, again, I'll, perhaps I'll pass that over to him to explain mm-hmm. it a little bit better than what I could, but. I guess um, I don't know. I'm probably not as I'm probably not as um, I'm probably not the type to 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 focus or really build my side based around what others are doing, if that makes sense. But that's probably on me. I think that's the right prop. That's probably me. That's my approach. Um, You know, I'm trying to think of an example of a player. This, I mean, the player that I think would probably for me be a similar sort of situation it would be someone like Jack McRae. Like he's yeah. someone that I'm yep. a little bit yeah for this year sorry. He's someone that I'm a little like if he comes in and has 40 you know percent ownership or 50% ownership I probably will be afraid of fading that one because I think even in his you know, you know apparent current role we saw over the middle course of you know part of last year that he can still potentially score very well. You know, even without, you know, bulk CBAs, et cetera, and can do it at a, you know, for a decent stretch of games as well. And from memory, I think the Western Bulldogs have a reasonably, you know, fantasy friendly start to the season as well. And so you've got a guy that, again, can score potentially very well um, with a large, you know, a large chunk of the comp potentially starting him. Wouldn't be that happy fading that. And you add into the fact that there's not that many great alternatives. So Mm -hmm. you then, you ask yourself, okay, what if he does pop and the guy that I choose instead is a flop? You know then you're in trouble. So for me, Jack McRae is probably that guy that of could, compared to day yeah, compared to Day Cos last year, that whose ownership I probably will be watching.
1: Yeah, so he's currently sitting at 42% at time of recording. Yeah. So yep. he's he's right in that spot um, that you've yeah. talked about as well. Rids, any thoughts on that before we hand over to Vams for his final lesson from 2023 heading to twenty four?
2: Yeah, um, so what I sort of did was, and I think it was more around what I've um, provided in some of the feedback, because Vams and I were sharing feedback continually last year, okay? So I set up a couple of rules for myself. So one of them was any premium that's owned by 30% or more that I can see who represents 10 points of value, Mm -hmm. okay? That's who I'm interested in, right here. Any mid-pricer, 30% or more, that represents like 20 points of value. And I've just put some tangible elements to what I'm trying to set up. Just, again, I'm going to have... Sometimes I'm going to go against my own rule because the day to be broken. a perfect example. Day cost potentially does have 10 points of value in it. Sure. I don't see it. I don't think so. But due to what we've just said, his price points at 110 this year, he's got a buy early days. He's got a couple of Interesting matchups. I'll say hmm. interesting matchups. I don't see a world that Finn McGuinness is going to be not sent to him. Put it that way, especially after what happened last year.
1: Agree.
2: Okay, when he did go to him. So I just don't see a world that that doesn't eventuate. I don't see a world that Willem Drew. But what I haven't forecasted there is what have the pies done. To address that, do they send Dacos forward? Did they send him into the midfield and then have more team players? There is a world that that won't affect him. Mm. Okay, even if that that's eventual, the Willem Drews, the Finn McGuinnesses, Dacos is a unicorn. He's just a gun, right? He, his second year, MJ, he's averaging hundred and ten. Why yeah, are we really, really going to put a limit on where he can go? He could be the next ablut, yeah. I only just mm. talked about it a, a, a minute ago. He could be the next Uber captain, like he could. He could go hundred and ten, and this year, would it surprise you if we were discussing him winning a Brownlow this year, going at hundred and twenty percent? No, of course not. No, because we've all we're all like we're all aware that that's a viable and a possibility in his development it's only his third year mate so there's no way known I'm going to come out and say it's definitely not going to happen I just I think there's enough elements to it that means that I don't want to bank on it at and pay 110 and bank that 110 is the right decision at that point that's all so, Vams, for your final
1: lesson learned, again, these are things that you went through and experienced in 2023 that now, as you apply those lessons in 2024 for you and for others, you believe are going to be really, really helpful guides navigating these final, you know, 40-odd days before lockout
0: kicks off. Yeah, just before I get to the, perhaps my final point, just one final um, point on what uh, on what Rich just said as well, which is... Um, taking ownership into account doesn't mean that you can't pick the odd, you know, point of difference in your team, right? Um, I think when you do that, though, it's important to question, what are you seeing that the rest of the entire fantasy community is not seeing, right? Mm. And there are guys like that, right? Like last year, Jaden Hunt, I had him in my side, and and he was a great pick, right? Um, So it doesn't mean that just because no one else, you know, just because their ownership is very low doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're missing something, um, but you've just got to be careful about look how many of these guys are you going to have in your team. If they fail, who are you going to transition to? Right. And so just having some sort of plan around that. But again, also asking, all right, his ownership's very low. I think there's twenty, you know, twenty five points of upside here. But why does no one believe this? Why am I the only one, you know, sort of saying this? And there's a there's a really great book called The Wisdom of Crowds. I forget the author where it's basically a book that 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 the premise of the book is that sort of you know large amounts of information by sort of communities or or uh, you know information groups etc generally re- results in in better decisions than than what you know might be made by an individual so it's quite an pertinent point to to this discussion here in terms of picking pods versus you know high ownership guys but you know but again coming back to what Rid said earlier which is the, the you've got to ask yourself with regards to what's the risk versus the reward of picking a player like that because if you pick a low ownership guy that happened to pop in the first round or two, everyone's going to jump on them. And, you know, yes, you've got them a little bit cheaper. Yes, you've perhaps saved a trade and having to bring them in. But, you know, I'd argue the the risk is probably, you know, outweighs the reward for the most part. But it doesn't mean you can't have some fun and, you know, pick the odd pod here and there. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I guess uh, just for my final um point, that also perhaps uh, it does relate to sort of mid prices. And my final points is to suggest have a very, very high threshold for what you expect a mid pricer to be able to do to justify starting them. Um, and I say this as someone that started um you know a few mid prices last year, um, you know, Dom Sheen being one of them. And again, so I'm hearing you know a little bit lately this preseason with regards to look what sort of points of upside should you should you be after to justify a starting pick and the, the number you tend to hear a lot about at the moment is about 20 so if someone's priced at 60 65 you know you, you want them to go at around that 85 Mark to justify picking them and that wouldn't make them a bad pick by any stretch but what I would encourage people to do is if you've got a mid pricer, ask yourself: Do they potentially have thirty points of upside in them? It doesn't mean they need to get thirty points of upside to be a good pick. But what you're really asking yourself when you when you've you know when you ask yourself that question is: What is their upside? Or put another way, do they have a ceiling score in them? Because these mid prices, what you're really wanting them to do is make bulk cash and make it relatively quickly. The problem when you pick someone, let's just say priced at 60, um, the problem is that let's just say they go on to average 78. Let's call it that. That inevitably has a couple of 72s in there, maybe a 69, then maybe a 78, and then maybe an 81. they're They're not really doing anything for you. They're not really adding some, you know, some nice ceiling scores for you. And they're they're really not making cash quickly for you. So, and that was Dom Sheet early last year. You know, he came, I think he was priced around that 60 ish mark from memory. I can't remember exactly. And he came out, his first three games were 79, 72, and 72. And then he got hurt. And so he started around about that 590K mark and got to only about 607K before he got hurt. And so, again, three games in, he's given you scores that are barely better than, you know, many of the rookie scores. And he's only, you know, he's barely even made you 20K. So he hasn't really served any purpose there. Mm -hmm. And so I think by asking yourself and, you know, really having a very high standard for what you want a mid-pricer to be able to potentially do, um, it perhaps doesn't, it stops you from putting in a player just because you are, you know, in inverted commas, you think they're going to improve. No, be a bit more specific and ask yourself, Do does this player, you know, over the first six rounds, can I see a, a world where this guy priced at 60 goes at 90 plus? That doesn't mean he has to average 90 for the entire season. Super key point, right? And so, a, you know, a good example of a player like that this year might be someone like George Wardlaw that a lot of people are considering at the moment. I think he's priced, what's he priced at, about 65? You know, ask yourself, Can I see a world where over the first seven or eight rounds, this guy goes at 90, you know, 95 perhaps even, right? I mean, do I think it's going to happen? No, but could I see it? Man, this guy is talented. He's built like a, a brick, you know what? And, yeah, I could see it happening. Like, I can see him having a game where he comes out and puts up a 112 and all of a sudden his cash gens away. And so, again, just ask, putting yourself in a position to ask that question, whereas... You know, Carl Amon, you know, he's priced at about 87. Again, can you see a world where he's going to go at 100, 105 for the first whatever rounds? Again, asking that. Not, oh, he's they're priced at 78, and I think they're going to average, you know, 90. No, I, I think just having a, a higher sort of expectation will, will potentially, potentially reduce the risk of you putting in a mid-price of that. Again, it doesn't really do anything for your team, doesn't put up those good scores and doesn't make you the the, the big cash that you need. And the extension to this point is mm-hmm. when you see one of those mid-prices early that is not doing it for you, jump off them real quick. And the, again, the example I would use last year was Andy McGrath. He went mm-hmm. into the last season priced at 81. He was a very popular pick last year. I think there must have been some training reports and he must have done well in a couple of know pre-season games i can't remember exactly what got the hype going but something did um and uh and again became a very popular pick and then he started the season going 81 88 79 65 you know again so he he, he's not really outscoring his average and he's certainly not making you any money so you know some of the very switched on coaches you know uh, you know, a, a perennial high finisher DT Lemon being, you know, a good example. He saw that opening game and he just jumped off immediately. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, it's always easy in hindsight because there are other players who perhaps start slower than than build. But you know, using you know whether it's data or using you know your own you know acumen when you watch the games to go like, look, this is not what I was expecting to see. Whether it's they're not getting enough cheap ball, they're not being used as an outlet, they're not getting the kick-ins, whatever it is. Um, if you've got that mid pricer and you know and that 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 you don't think is going to really pop like you thought he was going to pop then coming back to that first point that both um you know that Rid's mentioned jump off them and jump onto the guy that you've seen that clearly is going to do that
1: yeah some really good advice for us there Rids bring us home on this podcast mate don't let me down give me some gold advice to get us through the end of this episode
2: just before I do that I just want to Just go and revisit what Bam's just said because I I think this is really important, okay? Mm. Be aware what guys are priced at when you're going in and then see what, add 30 to what they're priced at. And and you'll know yourself, okay? Trust your gut on this. Like, let's just, I'm going to use a poor example with because the price rise is slightly different, but Coffield. Mm. For instance, in the back yep. lines, he's priced at 39 right now. Mm-hmm. Is it really that much of a leap to think that he's going to average 69 with the right role? He's been in the systems for a while. He was a high draft pick. He's gone got a fresh change. And you're not saying he's going to average 70 for the whole year. We're saying he's got the ability to average 70 for a period of time. VAM's just absolutely nailed that point. Mm -hmm. Quick cash. And DT Lemon's one of the best ever at it. Okay. He generates that cash quickly and he gets off. As soon Mm -hmm. as he sees an exit point, he's gone. Rodeo, he's out the other side. But let's look at Heath Chapman in comparison. Now he's priced at 54. Now, if you add 30 to that, that's 84. It's a it's a bit more of a stretch, yeah. Oh. Like, can he do it? 100% he can. Okay. But if you aim for those guys that have that ability and it's not as much of a stretch, and you back yourself to really see that happening, if Chapman's draw opens up and he has four, five, five game stretch where he plays at home, he's got the right role. But at the moment, there's a few question marks around this, okay? Is he going to be on a wing? Is he going to be at the half back? What's he gonna do, you know, from week to week? He's still valued. That's a hundred percent, but it's a bit of a stretch to say 30. Whereas that might make it easier for you to decide then. If you're deciding between Chapman and Caulfield for a a spot in your back lines, that might make it easier to make that decision, okay? Yeah.
1: No, and I good. just
2: want to highlight as well, I loved how um, Vams brought up Wardlaw before because just listen out, I think I did some collaboration with Bales just just recently and it will okay. be coming out in the next couple of days, I believe, and that will be a Wardlaw versus Dow head-to-head that we, he was doing with his things. And that's going to be a nice, interesting discussion and we do touch on that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, mm. You want one last one?
1: Give us one last um, bit of gold,
2: mate. Take okay. I wanted to go really reds like and go out there a bit. <laughs> Radio. One of the things I noticed last year and one of the things I did was I was lucky enough to jump on a Sicily, for instance, early on. I saw Jack Zeeble had massive runs through the year. So the comparison there is that younger rebounding teams well, likely slow as the year goes on. I know Hawthorne was a little bit more like they, they went all right okay, last year compared to where we were going to do. But the fact of the matter was they still had to hold that ball when there was damage periods or times hmm. through the year when they needed to slow down a little bit. We saw North Melbourne, yeah? The way that they stopped teams scoring was to hold the ball. Cheezel. Hmm. Jay-Z, whether it was Hall, whether it was Bailey Scott rolling back, whoever it was, they had some crazy numbers through the year. But the younger teams do tend to do that in periods of time. So, And I thought that was really interesting that we could actually rely on some guys here. And, yes, these are guns, okay, but it doesn't even need to flow into guns. Now, let's think of West Coast, for instance, Hmm. Okay maybe you're keen on a guy like a Witherden. Now, if West Coast have to slow the ball at times and, you know, stop the opposition from doing damage, a guy like Witherden might fill this void at some point in time or it might be a Duggan going back into the back line or whoever it is. It might be a guy like Brad Hoff, okay, (laughs) If you like someone and you see that they're starting to hold the ball, to slow down the game style, to try and limit the damage on the opposition scoring against them, back it in. Because these rebounding teams are going to have to do these sort of scenarios at points in time through the season.
1: Some good advice there. Vance, is there any initial parallels? Like West Coast is interesting. North Melbourne is interesting. Hawthorne is interesting. Are, yep. are there any players that immediately come to you? I you know Riz just gave us a couple of options that you go, oh, this is the kind of guy we could be looking at that we could bring into 2024 as you as you unpack and kind of rethread some of those thoughts that he just gave us?
0: Yeah, I mean, based off that, I mean, I'm already, you know, very keen and, and watching the, the the West Coast backline like a hawk at the moment. Um, you know, with it in you know, I've heard some West Coast fans suggest that he may not be best 22. You hear others say, of course, he's best 22. So happy just to watch that for the moment. But, you know, I, I think he probably is best 22. And certainly, feels named, you know, you look at some of the numbers without Hearn there, um, you know, especially when Witherden's not having to play as a sort of a defensive tall, mm. uh, th- there's no reason why he can't potentially go on to average 95 plus. So, you know, and that goes back to to Rids' point. They get a lot of marks. He's going to get a lot of, you know, kick-ins as well. So, um, you know, he's someone I'm watching and and his teammate Brady Hoff, if he's in the right role as well, um, I, I think he could be, you know, potentially good value. Um, you know, North Melbourne, the guy that, you know, everyone's watching very closely, obviously Zach Fisher, um, you know, and and the rookie there as well. Um, if they've got roles in in their back line. You saw what you know Zebel and, and and Hall and obviously Shisel did last year in that in, in that North Melbourne back line. Um, you know, whether we get the same exact numbers, I I think that's probably unlikely. But hmm. you know, even if we get, you know, 10%, 20% less than that, it's still going to be fantastic value for some of these guys. So they're probably a couple of the teams that I'd be watching um you know based off what Ridd said there.
1: Nice. You boys have been fantastic on us in this episode. You've given um, not just three big rocks each that we can kind of share. There's there's nuances and layers to every single one of them. And honestly, we could probably spend another hour or so unpacking other life lessons that from a fantasy footy perspective, we can take from previous seasons and throw them in. Maybe we'll do another one of these as we head into the season prop up. Rids, as always, mate, an absolute pleasure talking to you about AFL Fantasy and getting some of your wisdom to share with the community on this episode.
2: Not too easy. And just remember guys and girls whoever's listening out there this is just guidelines it's nothing's guaranteed yeah so i mean by all means if you want to yell and abuse me on twitter or anything else if something doesn't come to fruition do it anyway call me a goose whatever i don't really care anyway so yeah it's a bit of fun let's have a bit of enjoyment yeah let's not go for the abuse thing. Let's not be a toxic community, oh, no, but I no, hear sure your I point. What you're I'm saying. okay right. with it. I'm old. I don't really care anyway. I'll just run on them. It's all good.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm not worried about them to you. I'm worried about you back to them if they poke the bear. Uh, <laughs> as always, mate, a pleasure to be chatting fantasy footy with you. We've loved having you part of the coaches panel with a, a bunch of stuff this preseason. And, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of other conversations we have with you during the preseason and season proper to come.
0: Good on you, mate. Thanks for chatting.
1: Uh, if you want to check out any of the other podcasts we've been dropping right throughout the preseason, whether it be the 50 most relevant and some more preseason strategy episodes across all the formats we'll be dropping them for you make sure you're following on wherever you get your podcast feeds you can be able to check them out there are articles dropping every single day 50 most relevant related sure but a bunch of other strategy and team based pieces of content are starting to roll through at coachespanel.tv. you can keep in touch with both vams rids and any of the other members of the coaches panel uh, across x and other parts of social media we've put their ability to get in touch with them on x specifically 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 in the description of this episode. And we've also been offering video content in 2024. If you've been loving the episodes we've brought to you on YouTube, Thank you so much. Make sure you're subscribed. If you've not watched one, go on over, check it out. We so appreciate your support there. And speaking of support, it's not too late to get involved in our Patreon supporter group. For a few dollars a month, you help the coaches panel power on in 2024. And there are great rewards and content bonuses that come your way. All the details to join our Patreon can be found in this description of the episode. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you. More to come. In the 50 most relevant right up until the middle portion of February and then the preseason really ramps up as we hit a bunch of different match reviews and more strategy episodes from us to come. Thank you for tuning in and we can't wait to talk more fantasy footy with you very very soon.